not long after Nina and I started dating, which was 30, 43 years ago this week, one of the first questions that the lifetime Catholic graduate of parochial school asked me was, what religion are you? And I answered, well, I'm a Unitarian. And, of course, the next question was, what's that? My answer was somewhat naive, since I'd only been inside a Unitarian Universalist church twice in my life at that point. I said, I think it's about living the best life you can live and following what I call the platinum rule. I made that up. It's moving beyond the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you to a different formulation. Do unto others as they would have you do unto them. Her next question and my answer were similarly naive. She said, do you go to hell if you don't go to church? And I said, most Unitarians don't believe in hell at all. So the answer has to be no. She said, I can live with that. This past week, I accepted an invitation from Chang Lu to be her guest at the Daybreak Rotary Club in Leesburg on Tuesday morning. Rotary meetings, ho, no mystery for me. Over the past 30 years, I've been a member of Rotary in three states for about a third of that time, about 10 years as a Rotarian. It's not a religious organization, but in some broad ways, there are a lot of similarities. For example, you're supposed to wear a name tag when you're in the Rotary meeting. The rotary tag, however, is covered with a lot of Rotarian symbols, and so your, your name is kind of small in a white field in the middle. If you're out in public, you're supposed to wear a rotary pin so that people will know that you are taking your uh, membership seriously. If another Rotarian meets you and you don't have your rotary pin on in a business situation, then they can call you on it and say you owe a fine to the club. It's a, just a little reminder thing. Um, it's not a secret society like the Masonic Lodges. As a matter of fact, they gave me a recruitment folder with lots of information about their club, just in case I might want to apply to be a member there. This is the folder. There are other people who have been members of Rotary and some who are current members of Rotary. I won't call them out right now. But uh, I would like to share with you a few of the guidelines that are in this membership recruitment piece of paper. What can you expect from the club? It provides a good venue to network with top leaders of every profession in our community. It helps you learn a lot about our county, its past, present, and future from many perspectives. It helps you establish and cultivate lasting friendships, enabling others to learn about you and whatever organization or profession you represent. And it helps you to have a warm and rewarding feeling for having done a lot of good in our local community. You see, the motto of Rotary Club International is service above self. And they say, who should join Rotary? You, if you enjoy fellowship and networking with other professionals in the community. If you have a commitment to like making life better for others locally and internationally. If you're interested in your own personal growth and development. If you appreciate cultural diversity. If you want to keep abreast of what is happening in the community and the world, if you want to encourage youth to become leaders of the future, and if you support what they call the Rotary four-way test, which measures words and actions by truthfulness, fairness, goodwill, and benefit to all. I carry a lot of cards and have for many years. This particular card is the Rotary card, 
to remind you of the objects of Rotary and the four-way test. It says, the object of Rotary is to encourage and foster the ideal of service as a basis of worthy enterprise and to encourage and foster the development of acquaintance as an opportunity for service, high ethical standards in business and professions, the recognition of the worthiness of all useful applications, occupations, and the dignifying of each Rotarian's occupation as an opportunity to serve society. Number three, the application of the ideal of service in each Rotarian's personal business and community life. And four, the advancement of international understanding, goodwill, and peace through world fellowship of both business and pro professionals uh, united in the ideal of service. It's a little tiny print, so I'm having to squint a bit. And, of course, the four-way test is elucidated. Is it the truth? Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better relations, friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? A test of the things we think, say, and do. Sounds sort of compatible with Unitarians, doesn't it? Of course, I also carry a card from the Smithsonian, from uh, Public Radio, and my ACLU card, which goes back 40 years. I'm very proud of those, along with uh, what do Unitarian Universalists believe? We believe in the freedom of religious expression, the toleration of religious ideas, the authority of reason and conscience, the never-ending search for truth, the unity of experience between faith and knowledge, religion and the world, the sacred and the secular, since they all have their source in the same reality. There's some argument about that in the country right now about whether there's one reality or multiple realities, I guess. We believe in the worth and dignity of each human. We believe in the ethical application of religion, that good works are the natural product of good faith, the evidence of an inner grace that finds completion and social and community involvement, another Rotarian thing. We believe in the motive force of love, which seeks the welfare of others and never seeks to hurt or destroy. We believe in the necessity of the democratic process. We believe in the importance of religious community. That one is different than the Rotarians. The validation of our experience requires confirmation of our peers who provide a critical platform along with a network of mutual support. That is also a little bit outside of the Rotarian ideals. But what is all this about, really? What's underneath it? Not just for Rotarians, but for Unitarians. Well, the underlying ethos or ethical rationale for Rotary is that a diverse group with mutual respect and, co uh, and traditions of compromise around their difference can achieve cohesion through emphasizing their common mission and allegiance to the ideal of service above self. It's really a common Protestant ethic. And their behavioral covenant, like this is church's covenant of good relations, calls upon all of its members to reflect carefully about what they say and think and do. Of course, like Unitarians, if you don't show up every week for a meeting, you won't go to hell. But among the Rotary Clubs I've known, there's usually an expectation that you will show up most of the time. Some clubs, it's 50 percent. Some clubs, it's 85 percent. Because there's a contest among Rotarian Rotary Clubs about having good statistics. If you don't have high percentage attendance every week, then obviously your, your Rotary Club is low on cohesion. And in some clubs, if you miss a meeting, 
You were expected to pay a fine. It's like an indulgence to get out of purgatory or the old uh, established church tradition. If you weren't in church, they would send somebody out to go get you because it was a sin not to show up in church. Now, the Rotarians don't put it, push it that far, and certainly Unitarians don't either. Another similarity with uh, Unitarian churches and Rotary clubs is that in like most churches, Rotarians are supposed to leave their explicit politics at the door. It's not polite to confront people. The values you share matter more than your differences. According to moral psychologist Jonathan Haidt in his new book, The Righteous Mind, the fact that we disagree over politics and religion is not necessarily a bad thing. But sometimes, as we may have experienced these past few months, the struggle between political and religious factions sometimes gets out of hand. And at least some of the enmity and strife between people of different political or religious beliefs is caused by the failure to understand where those beliefs have come from, a failure to understand how one's opponents are actually not so different and if you can understand their beliefs. Now, some of the folks who have elucidated Unitarian theology talk about our being tolerant of people who are different. And more recently, we have come to say we embrace diversity, even though sometimes it's hard to actually practice that. Jonathan Haidt, who is a moral psychologist, says that those, the beliefs that are different must begin with the human moral sense as it has evolved over the millennia of human development. He says it consists of what he has worked out as six moral modules, each of which evolved to answer a specific challenge that our distant ancestors have faced in the environment in which our species evolved. The modules are the, the, the duality of care or harm that we are that we want to take care of people, we want to have people take care of us, and we want to protect ourselves from harm. The fairness and cheating module, where part of our inclination is to be fair with those who are intimate with us and to avoid being cheated by those who are different. The loyalty or betrayal spectrum, the authority or subversion spectrum, the liberty or oppression spectrum, and the sanctity or degradation spectrum, which is to say things that seem to be morally reprehensible cannot be undertaken without rejection from the society in which you live. All of us at this stage of human development have to some degree a, a predisposition on one or the other ends of those moral modules, and each of them can be amplified or modified by internal or external factors. The internal factors include our personality, while the external factors include the environment in which we are raised, who our parents were, what kind of community we were uh, part of when we were uh, children and adolescents, and the particular experiences which help to shape our view of human nature also influence our view of what is a healthy community. Both those internal and external factors explain our moral and political views and ideologies. But we have also been affected by our tribal consciousness in how we are attracted to a religious community or athletic team, whether we decide that we want and need to be involved with clubs like Rotary or Kiwanis, 
or the Optimist International or other such organizations, which in a way leads us to this sense of competition with against those who are different in their tribal identities. And so this tribal consciousness can make it especially difficult for us to identify with others who are different from us and to even appreciate their point of view. So the result can be that people not only have opposing viewpoints when it comes to morality, politics, and religion, but are often unable to even understand the viewpoints of those who are different. The moral psychologists theorize that if we can begin to understand the origins of our differences, we might be able to see that there could be room for accommodation, even if not compromise on those principles we hold highest. But to begin to see the truth about others, we must first understand ourselves. Who are we? How do we as Unitarians see the world? Well, there's a diversity of views even in this room, but there have been some generalizations drawn by examining two central concepts of our ethos or ethos and our mythos. Our ethos can be understood as our collective identity, how we as Unitarian Universalists present ourselves to each other in the world. Market research has helped us understand our dominant cultural ethos and identity. One survey ranked UUs as highest among 30 religious movements in aggregate social status in the Protestant ethic variables, which include the level of education, our household income, how many people own homes and patterns of employment. One survey found that UUs are relatively highly educated. Over half at that time were college educated and many have earned advanced degrees. UUs enjoy the second at that time, the second highest median household income among identifiable religious groups. Nearly three out of four Unitarian Universalists own their own homes. More than half hold full-time jobs. I, I fit two of those, or one, one, only one. I have a degree. Uh, another survey found that people who described themselves as Unitarian Universalists were more likely to be female. Again, I'm left out. Of European American heritage. Yeah, I can check that one are nature-oriented and living in a suburban community, are politically actively active and environmentally conscious. We try. At the time, this profile was an exact match with the customer profile of the catalog mailing list of L.L. Bean. <laughs> but I would suppose that there is probably only a partial overlap with the demographic characteristics of the majority of members of Rotary who tend to be a little more conservative, a little more right than most Unitarian Universalists I've run across. Recent studies of congregational life in the United States expand the picture of who we are. A church historian named Tex Sample defined three groups as the cultural left, cultural center, and cultural right. These categories do not necessarily correspond to political labels, but the group that he defined as the cultural left is mostly consistent with the sociological profiles of many UUs. According to Tech Sample, members of the cultural left are strongly interdirected and have a self-fulfillment orientation. In other words, you want to maximize your, your experience of yourself as successful. We tend to be, or cultural left people, tend to be nonconformists, so generally have little loyalty to authority or icons of traditional institutions. 
Cultural lefties are politically more reliably liberal, sort of a self-definition. Most are relatively affluent or at least financially comfortable. They are deeply concerned about social issues, especially peace, the environment, and consumer issues. They are nature-centered, often understanding that nature has its own wisdom. They tend to be experimental, particularly in terms of theology, and are often not members of formal religious institutions. And they tend to seek the mystical and are often attracted to non-Western religions, like Buddhism, Taoism. Um, and in addition to our ethos, we could look at Unitarian and Universalist mythos, the often unconscious ideas, feelings, and cultural expressions that many UUs in our country hold, which may also be important to understanding our collective identity. Some of us are concerned that there are psychosocial dimensions of the culture of our church, our faith, that are not easily characterized. One such quality has been called a tendency toward orderliness to the point of perfectionism, rigidity, stinginess, and obstinacy. Others have pointed out that a part of our collective personality is a tendency to be haughty, self-righteous, controlling, and expressing moral superiority. I, I would guess that that may be because we have a lot of New England Yankees among the Unitarian Universalists, to use a stereotype. But two traits of self-righteousness and individualism might deserve further exploration. It is ironic that although freedom and tolerance are central pillars of our Unitarian Universalist faith in our shared principles, we can be somewhat intolerant, owing in part to our tendency towards self-righteousness. Sometimes our attitudes run counter to the principles that we say we hold dear. On one hand, we say that we affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person, value civil liberties, and promote tolerance and freedom of speech. On the other hand, sometimes our self-righteous attitudes are anything but tolerant and or open to diverse viewpoints. This tendency toward moral superiority, it is theorized, may arise from the early history of the Unitarian movement. As the poet T.S. Eliot, himself raised in a Unitarian household, wrote of his relatives over 100 years ago, to be a Unitarian was to be noble, upright, and superior to all other human beings. Unitarians believed that they were already enlightened. The enlightenment for them was an intellectual achievement. Unitarians were put on earth to better the lot of humanity, to be a good and inspiring example. Unitarians were expected to be dutiful, benevolent, cheerful, self-restrained, and unemotional. They attended church only to set a good example for others. But UUs in one church towns are somewhat like isolated aboriginal societies who have no word for human being in their own language other than the world, the word for themselves. That is to say, if there's only one Unitarian Universalist church, that's all that matters. You go to that and that's your community. You don't connect with anybody else. Such groups find the discovery of human beings who are not of their tribe profoundly disturbing. One of the results of our difficulty in understanding others as truly human is that we not only feel this way, but that we feel we are entitled to be the definers of reality and of the only right way to be in the world. A corollary is that only a select few are sufficiently evolved to be among us. 
Have you ever felt that? I know it's a temptation to think that we have the answer. Something we accuse everybody else of saying to us, that they have the answer. These characteristics are among the paradoxes of our cultural ethos and group identity as Unitarian Universalists that often lead us into irreconcilable conflict among ourselves and vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the world. Individualism is another concept that deserves further explication. Within Unitarian Universalism, both Thomas Jefferson and Ralph Waldo Emerson, our Unitarian saints, are examples of the extreme individualism that has been a hallmark of our version of liberal religion and is somewhat privatized so that their views can yield no rationale for religious fellowship in general or the church in particular, some um, academic has said. In other words, why bother to go to church? Thomas Jefferson said, I will be a Unitarian alone, he said. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, essentially, I don't want to do what you're doing. I'll sit in the balcony and watch, but I'm not going to participate in any meaningful way. As an ethic, this kind of individualism can ultimately fail us all. There's a vast underworld of people, one commentator said. There's a vast underworld of people who have lived with the fantasy of being the Lone Ranger and found that to be a version of hell. For hell is the absence of relationship, the ultimate disconnection from the ultimate truth and the ultimate reality of our being social animals. Perhaps that is the greatest risk of being a Unitarian Universalist, of defining the world as stopping where your skin ends. Unlike Catholics, Anglicans, and Methodists, many Unitarian Universalist congregations are often self-referencing. In spite of strong social action or social justice programs, connection to the larger community often is a secondary goal. What can cause this distancing and insularity? The psychologists give us a partial answer. In the high value placed on strident individualism, the Lone Ranger complex. Psychiatrist Scott Peck, who talked a lot about community, wrote about this phenomenon from his theological perspective. He said, the problem, indeed the total failure of the ethic of, I'm sorry, the ethic of rugged individualism is that it incorporates only one half of our true humanity. It recognizes that we are called to be individuated, to have power in ourselves and our yearning toward wholeness. But it denies entirely the other part of the human story, that we can never fully get there to wholeness, that we are of necessity in our uniqueness, weak and imperfect creatures who need each other. It can isolate us from each other. And our resistance to acknowledging our incompleteness often makes genuine com community very difficult or sometimes even impossible for a particular collection of individuals. An additional cons consequence of this individuation may be the loss of relational values that we take for granted. Love, compassion, loyalty, service, and justice, which some people, especially since the time of Dr. Martin Luther King, 
understand as the greater goal of building something that could be called a beloved community. Now, I found a, a quote that I thought might be worthy of sharing with you about President Obama. And this quote has a lot in it. It says, President Obama, like most liberal Democrats, has undervalued the role of human emotions in making his policy decisions. He asked for help, though, in finding emotional roots for his presidency and his liberal moral vision in a speech at the National Prayer Breakfast only a few days after his first inauguration. To find common ground free of religious identity, he focused on love and his restatement of the golden rule, which, as he explained it, means to sincerely love one another, to try to understand one another, to treat with dignity and respect those with whom we share a brief moment on this earth. He reached out to leaders and scholars around the world to foster a more productive and peaceful dialogue on faith. He acknowledged the need for a common emotional ground for this dialogue based on love, as Nina's song is based on love. But our president could only go so far. The theological work required was not in his background. You see, he identified more with his mother, who had declined the identity of Unitarian Universalism, even though her mother was firmly a part of the Honolulu Church and the one in Washington State before that. Barack Obama attended Sunday school with his grandmother when he was in her care. But his mother refused to be have a narrow identity. She wanted to be a citizen of the world, have religious connections with a Muslim from Africa. She wanted to be able to marry an Indonesian who took her and her, her child Barack and a new child Maya, his younger half-sister. And they lived in Indonesia and were raised as citizens of the world. But the theological identity was not of Unitarian Universalism, even though Barack Obama had many of the values that had been discussed in his religious education class in Honolulu, in an old house that had a basement for their RE classes. Obama's call for a fully developed ecumenical emotional ground of love for religious and moral discourse on public policy issues didn't happen because he didn't fully understand how other people saw their religious identity, who saw their perspectives as different from his. You see, Barack Obama was trying to promote, I think, his vision of a golden rule based on love. But the emotional content was not sufficient to transcend the differences that he encountered. A lot of people think that they're living the golden rule, but how many of us can live a platinum rule? Considering what others would have us do unto them, rather than trying to translate from our own experience and trying to live only the golden rule to do unto others as we would have others do unto us. Going outside of your own perspective is something that Rotary International 
tries to perpetuate. When they say service above self and uh, trying to understand how it all goes, but only by truly incorporating the Unitarian Universalist perspective, as I see it, of going outside yourself and understanding that we can't model other societies, other religions, and say they can be like us, that our idea of development and capitalism and success can be translated into every other context because there are cultural differences. There are perspectives that cannot be modified because they're so inbuilt into those cultures around us. Our culture is resistant to change. Our culture becomes defensive. Why not see how that is possible and even necessary for other cultures to feel defensive? Isn't that what we experience from um, the Islam of Saudi Arabia and Yemen and Iran and uh, Palestine and Indonesia and Pakistan? Those people are coming out of a different frame than we are. And it is within our consciousness to work toward compassion, true compassion of understanding and appreciating the differences and making allowances for those in how we engage with others. It happens also in the micro level as we are functioning inside our communities right here in Leesburg, Ashburn, all the, each one of those is a microculture that's somewhat different from the other cultures that you find around us. And there's so much commonality in our history, in our religious understanding. And there's still a failure to understand, a failure to really appreciate those differences. Thank you for your attention this morning as I try to elevate to your consciousness a little bit more about understanding who we are and how we can engage more effectively with the people that we encounter, not only in this community, but in our daily lives everywhere, and perhaps translate that into how we deal with others in our schools, in our workplace, in our social interactions, wherever we go. I appreciate your attention this morning.